0: Our final scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Before we read, will not you join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Christ. We could never say that enough, but thank you for him. What a gift he is. Thank you that he came down near to us as one of us with a, a real body. And yet somehow... God as well. Father, thank you for that great mystery. That mystery who is Christ. So, Father, it's Him that we are celebrating today. Thank you for the gift that you've given to us. Lord, bless our our time together as we study this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here now from Matthew chapter one, verses one through seventeen. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nathan, and Nathan the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Be if you were a Jewish person in the 1st or 2nd or 3rd century and you picked up Matthew's gospel and you read this you would think this is about the most Jewish thing I've ever read. <laughs> but it's got some differences in it. Traditionally you wouldn't have included women In this list, you wouldn't have included the Gentiles in this list. And as we look at some of these names, there's some embarrassing names, perhaps, in this list. But we've got to know these names to know all that, right? We've got to understand who these people are. And if we're honest, when we read the Bible, oftentimes we skip the genealogies. And we skip them perhaps because we don't know the names in them, we don't know why these lists of people are being recorded for us, and it's, it's part of the reason that when we start reading in Genesis, we get to chapter 5, and we see that first whole chapter uh, that's just a list of names, well, there goes our Bible reading plan for the new year. But if we take the time to understand a bit, to learn why these names are here, to learn why these people are included in this genealogy, we can understand a great deal more about Christ. Because when we read these names, names bring up stories, don't they? For example, if I say Abraham Lincoln, a lot of things come to mind. You might think of the memorial in Washington DC and that, and that famous statue there. You might think of the Emancipation Proclamation or, or the Gettysburg Address. But if I say Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas, well, that's a very specific context, a very specific story. See, Stephen Douglas was another presidential candidate, and Lincoln and Douglas would debate, and if you've done any sort of debate recently, you've heard of the Lincoln-Douglas debates and the format that they used. That brings up a very specific context, a very specific story about Lincoln. And so when we see names in Scripture, when we see specifically pairings of names, That gives us some specific context. Take our first verse, and please don't worry, we're not going to talk about every name this morning. But if we look at the first verse of Matthew, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why mention David and Abraham? Because if you mention David, there could be a hundred stories that come to mind. We could be thinking about uh, Goliath. We could think about him when he enters the tabernacle and eats the bread that's meant only for the priests. And the same goes for Abraham. We could be talking about him leaving his home country, leaving the comfort and the safety of his family, and leaving not knowing where he was going to go, just leaving to follow the Lord. We could be talking about his faithfulness in taking his son Isaac up the mountain and binding him and offering him to the Lord. We could certainly be talking about Abraham's inability to have a son until the Lord intervened. But when you mention David and Abraham together, we have a very specific thing in mind because David and Abraham have something in common. They were both promised a son. God promised to Abraham that he he would have a son through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. And David, the Lord promised he would have a son, an heir to sit on an eternal throne. David's son would be king forever of an eternal kingdom. So when we take these two names together, the thing that is brought to mind, these stories of their sons, we know that. Abraham uh, was the father of Isaac, as we read in verse 2. And yes, his birth was was kind of a miracle, wasn't it? Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born, and Sarah, his mom, was 90. But the Lord is good to fulfill his promises and give Abraham a son. But if we think about Isaac, was he really the one through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed? Is that the fulfillment of God's promise? Does it stop with Isaac? And with David, his promised son Solomon, well, Solomon didn't sit on a throne forever. In fact, his son Rehoboam split the kingdom. In all of Solomon's wealth and and wisdom and fame, he couldn't keep his kingdom going beyond his own death. So when we read the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham, what are we supposed to understand well, we're supposed to get that Jesus is that fulfillment. Jesus is that promised son of Abraham who would bless the world. Jesus is that promised son of David who would sit on an eternal throne. So the fulfillment of God's promises lies squarely on the person of Christ. Jesus is the better son, who wasn't just offered on the mountain by his father, but he was the perfectly obedient son who was really crucified, who really died for our sins. Jesus is the better king of a better kingdom that will last forever. He's the king that even as a child, as we read earlier, wise men knew of his lordship and brought gifts only fitting for a king. But his crown was twisted in thorns. So it's on Christmas that we celebrate the birth of our king. We celebrate the birth of that promised son. and What wonderful news this is that our king has come. What a sovereign, holy, good, and promise-keeping God we serve, that he would give us such a son, such a king, who was a real person, born in that strange, mysterious union between God and, and man. But he was really born, and he really died, that he might be our savior, that he might be our king. But notice, through the names in our passage, who's this good news for? Verse 3, Judah the father of Perez and Zer- Zerah by Tamar. Well, you can mention Judah and perhaps you know some of the stories of Judah. How he tried to save his brother Benjamin to take his place in Egypt. But when you mention Judah and Tamar, well that's a very different story, isn't it? It's a story of Tamar who was shamed and, and treated as worthless by Judah. And so to get justice... Tamar pretends to be a prostitute. She traps Judah. So Judah then is shamed. And he comes to repentance. So why bring this story up in Jesus' genealogy? Because who is Jesus? Who is the good news of his birth, his life, and his death for? Well, it's good news for sinners. It's good news for people who have done the worst things And think that we have no hope. Jesus is that hope. This is what this genealogy is telling us. Down in verse 5, Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Well, again, why mention Rahab? As I mentioned, Jewish genealogies would not have included women, but there are five mentioned in our text. In perhaps the most significant list of names in history, a list that shouldn't include women, there are five here. One of these women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, receives the highest compliment that I could think of. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. That's how the angel greets Mary. Another translation has it, blessed and highly favored. So one of these women was given one of the greatest compliments in all of Scripture. Two were prostitutes. One was a victim of sexual assault. And Rahab, one of those prostitutes, Though Tamar had pretended to be one to get justice, Rahab, as a prostitute, had heard of the God of the Israelites. She heard how powerful he was, and when spies from Israel came into the city of Jericho where she lived, she helped them, only asking to be saved from the coming destruction. Rahab hadn't ever worshipped God. She hadn't ever spoken, as far as we know, to an Israelite before this. She'd merely heard of how powerful God was and asked to be saved. What faith. What courage. She was a woman, a prostitute, a Gentile. And this message of Jesus, this message of a God who saves is good news for Rahab, for an outcast. Then there's Ruth. The grandmother of King David, Ruth, was previously married. Her husband had passed away but for the love of her mother-in-law decides she wants to care for her family, to dedicate herself to caring for her mother-in-law. And in that, she dedicates herself to loving and serving God. Ruth was from Midian. She's a Gentile. She's a widow, and then she meets Boaz, and she pursues him. And just to be included in this list is placing a great deal of esteem on her. And if you don't get how much esteem Ruth is given... In the Jewish organization of their Bible of the Old Testament, it's the same text, same writings that we have, but they organize it a little bit differently. The book of Ruth actually follows the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, of course, ends in chapter 31, that description of uh, almost an ideal woman, a woman who loves the Lord, loves her family, is wise, and is hardworking. You flip the page, and there's Ruth. Significant. So this gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of his birth, this is good news for Ruth, for an outsider and a widow. But then we come to a couple of people in verse 6. King David. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now David is held in incredibly high regard by the Jewish people, and, and rightfully so. He was given another great compliment, a man after God's own heart. But the picture we have of David in verse six is very different than the picture we have of David in verse number one. Why well, mention the wife of Uriah? So Uriah and Bathsheba were married. And the story goes that David had sent his armies out to war, but he didn't go with them. It's a big no-no in that culture. Why would the king send his armies off to do his work for him if he wasn't with them? He sees Bathsheba, he lusts over her, commits adultery and assault. And then he commits murder. So by mentioning all these people in this verse, David's sin is in view here. In verse 1, he's the patriarch. He's the good king, the one to whom God made promises. In verse 6, he's the sinner. He's the adulterer. He's the murderer. So who's this good news for? It's good news for a murderer. It's good news for the one who lusts. Good news for sinners. So who is the good news of the gospel for? Who is this good news of Jesus Christ for? Everybody needs to hear it. We are all sinners. It's for Gentiles. It's for Jewish people. It's for women. It's for men. Behold, the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the earth. And though that's in Luke, genealogy is telling us the same thing. It's for everyone. So wherever you're at, whatever your life has been like, whatever this new year is looking like for you, Jesus' birth is good news for you. If you've been at church every Sunday since you can remember, this is good news for you, and you need to remember how good of news it is that Jesus Christ was born. But if you're at church here this morning or you're listening online uh, because you're with family, maybe you're not really a church person, neither were a lot of people in this list that we just read. This good news that Jesus was born, that he was really a person, and somehow at the same time God himself Good news that Jesus grew up and lived in Israel over 2,000 years ago, that He died to save us from our sins, from all of our wrongdoings, also that we can be made right and justified in the eyes of God, so that we can have eternal life with Him, that He didn't just die, but he rose again. This is good news for you. And that's the meaning of Christmas. That's why Christ came. So that he could call sinners to himself. So, this is good news. This is why Christ came. That's why we take time to celebrate every year, because this is good news for everyone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of who you are. Because, Lord, we're sinners and we need Christ. So, thank you for the forgiveness we have in him. Lord, I pray even as we, we sang last night at our Christmas Eve service, if, if we know you, Lord, would you make us people who let our light shine. Don't hide it under a bushel, Lord. But Father, help us to, to celebrate you, to be thankful for you, to be grateful for the gift of who Christ is. So Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.